managed to make it eight entire podcasts without talking about politics. I'm sorry, but we are going to have to go there because whenever you talk about Lyme disease, inevitably the politics come into play. On this podcast, we are going to meet a true Canadian champion for Lyme disease in Ottawa. She managed to pass a rare private member's bill unanimously through the House of Commons and then through the Senate. If you don't know who I'm talking about, she's my hero, and she gave me a lot of hope through some very dark days. I'm so excited to introduce you to Elizabeth May. It only took five years of her life to get a bill passed on Lyme disease, but this passion started back when she lived in Nova Scotia. She met a woman who was in a wheelchair, and she was so surprised to find out that her condition was caused by Lyme. She was determined that when she became an MP, she was going to do something about it. And so she did. She drafted Bill C-442, which created a federal framework on Lyme prevention and treatment. She also managed to secure $4 million, and then she worked tirelessly to get the bill passed. This is no small matter for a private member's bill. She even managed to get the former president of the Canadian Medical Association to write a letter of support, acknowledging the need for more physician training. I'm thrilled to speak with her from Salt Spring Island. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. I'm just going to jump right in. How did Lyme disease come on your radar? Oh, you know, it, it, it really was a shock for me. It was a long time ago now, at least 13, 14 years ago, that one of my neighbors in Pictou County in Nova Scotia was in a, she was in a wheelchair. And it, it takes a while to, to kind of screw up your courage and ask somebody, why, why are you in, uh, in, in a wheelchair and, and, and what happened to you? And I was so shocked uh, when she said that it was Lyme disease. And I had heard of Lyme disease, but I didn't know it could result in people being uh, you know, basically permanently incapacitated and in a wheelchair. And it just, it, so, it, it stuck with me. And then I moved to British Columbia, and when I, um, when I got to Saanich Gulf Islands and, and the Vancouver Island, I kept finding that there were uh, more and more people that I met in wheelchairs, incapacitated. And the thing that really, really struck me about it was that in both cases, people would say, oh, yeah, but I went to my doctor, and they said, you know, fill in the blank, there is no Lyme disease in Nova Scotia, or there is no Lyme disease in on v- Vancouver Island. And I think, why would doctors be denying something that, that's so clear and that we see everywhere? Um, so that's that's that was one of my... Uh, well, it, it just struck me that if I could get elected, and at that point I wasn't a member of parliament, that one of the things I would do, that if I could, if I could make a difference on something with a private member's bill, I was determined that it would be Lyme disease. So tell me, is this bill tough enough? Well, it, 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 uh, we, we brought it in. Um, my, my first opportunity to get it in was, um, first reading was June of 2012, and I managed to get it passed into law just before 2015 in the election. And it's a national, it was originally drafted as a national Lyme disease strategy bill. What happened was it then became a, um, a federal Lyme disease strategy. They said you can't make it national. So we did, I did a number of amendments. And I have to say I worked really um, collaboratively with the Minister of Health at the time. 
and I was lucky that the Minister of Health at the time was Rana Ambrose because she was willing to be collaborative and she was willing to let a Green Party member, private member's bill actually pass Parliament. Bear in mind, we were in a conservative majority government and if the Minister of Health had said no way and all the conservatives had voted against my bill, it wouldn't have passed. It ended up passing unanimously in the House of Commons and it passed the Senate as well, and that was really a challenge because a lot of senators from the Conservative Party, for some reason, were trying to stop it. So when we got it through, what it did was create a national conference to engage experts in Lyme disease and Lyme disease sufferers and patients, the Lyme disease community, and Lyme literate physicians. And in that process, we really, I really felt we had educated the um well, the public health officials who, for some reason, from province to province, so many public health officers maintained this line, there is no Lyme disease here. Uh, so that was what the bill could do was create um, a national, a federal Lyme disease strategy. And in the end, it isn't anything like as tough as I wanted it to be, but it did create some action items that would really help if Health Canada would follow up on them, and if the medical community across Canada paid attention to them. So do you think the $4 million is enough, and will that help them combat Lyme disease? Well, I wanted it to to really reference the need for research into chronic Lyme or long-term Lyme disease. We've had significant research funding made available um, more, you know, in the millions of dollars, but that money has, as, as um, Can, Can Lyme Foundation will tell you, the money has mostly gone in the direction of research and researchers who are not looking at what do we do about people who are chronically ill with Lyme disease. That's become a kind of an ideological battle in the medical community, in the infectious disease community. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, of course, I'm a layperson and I'm in politics, but I... I know so many people now who are suffering from chronic Lyme disease, and I'd like to see them get help. Um, The research money hasn't gone in that direction. I'm also disappointed because we came up with a, a, a strategy that the first draft was really terrible. We worked really hard, looped back around, and insisted that there be some things that you could hang on to and make a difference. And one of them was an action plan to increase the amount of Lyme, information to the to physicians across Canada to increase, just as, as Sarah's father, uh, uh, Dr. Komodi, so smart, so clear, we need to make clinical diagnosis the way we go at this, not rely on lab tests, which are notoriously inaccurate, and we need to make sure that people know that if you present with any symptoms that could be Lyme and you've been in a situation where you could have been bitten by a tick, prescribe antibiotics right away. Now, ironically, I got bitten by a tick earlier this this um, early spring, managed to save the tick, pull it out of my skin, put it where it's supposed to be. I got it tested. It tested negative. But the doctor I went to was Lyme literate, and she immediately prescribed antibiotics so that I, you know, would, in the period of time when I was nervous, knowing everything that can happen with Lyme disease, I was so relieved that I went to a doctor who understood, but so few doctors across Canada are prepared to know what to do if someone presents with symptoms that might be Lyme disease. The, the, the impulse, you know, because obviously overprescriptions of antibiotics is an issue in another context, but you really do want to know that you can get 
uh, immediate access to antibiotics just in case. But often a doctor's first impulse is, well, let's wait and see if we can verify if this is Lyme disease before we prescribe antibiotics. And that can be a critical gap within which people can become quite ill. Has this bill helped patients with Lyme disease? I think it helped. I think the conference helped. I think the focus of the Lyme, and listen, it's it's not my work. It's the work of patients and the families that are being impacted with Lyme disease that is raising the awareness and raising consciousness. We're seeing a lot more media coverage. A lot more doctors know than used to know. But it's not 100% of doctors. And until it's 100% of doctors, we're going to misdiagnose. And then, of course, every patient with Lyme disease needs to access the help they need within our healthcare system. I know far too many people who've mortgaged their homes to get family members the treatment they need for Lyme disease, and they've had to go to the United States to get it. And that just, that's just, that's so wrong. Yes, unfortunately, that is not uncommon. In fact, I had to go to California to get diagnosed. It's, and it, it's inexplicable. You know, you, you try to figure out why would anyone want to deny that it's happening here with climate change, with the climate crisis, the, the range of these ticks has expanded dramatically. We know this. Um, I mean, the, the, the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment, the Canadian Medical Association, recent report on climate change specifically mentioned the expansion in the impact of Lyme disease because of climate change. This shouldn't be debatable, nor should it be controversial. But there's one strand of experts within infectious diseases who seem to feel I don't know, somehow as if their reputations are threatened, if they admit this is happening. I, I'm, I'm boggled by it. I, I was attacked personally and viciously by some experts when the bill was uh, going through Parliament, that I was anti-science and didn't know what I was talking about. It was, it was quite surprising. But there isn't really any doubt anymore that we see a dramatic increase in Lyme disease, and we need to know better tools of treatment. We need much better awareness for prevention for everyone because you can get you can get a tick in your backyard. You don't have to be hiking far into the wilderness. And you also need to know, uh, and every physician needs to know, how to do a clinical diagnosis and how to, on a, even if it's just on a prophylactic basis, prescribe antibiotics if someone presents with symptoms that might be Lyme disease because it can't hurt to make sure that it, that that someone gets the help they need in the critical moment when it avoids it becoming a persistent problem. And for that, we need a lot more Lyme literate physicians. I mean, I know physicians who've lost their license to practice medicine because they treated Lyme patients. And and that's just not acceptable. Do you think part of that denial of Lyme disease is linked to the denial of global warming? I don't think so. I really don't. I think it's I think it's a question of for one thing, when most doctors, medical schools, I mean, I've heard of medical schools, even recent medical graduates, who never got a segment on Lyme disease and how to spot it when they're going to medical school. Or I heard not long ago, a Alberta medical school graduate who was actually told by a professor, there isn't Lyme disease here when, of course, there was. So it's I don't think there's a motivation that ties with one's usual motivations for denialism, right? It's not like they received a lot of information from the pharmaceutical industry and they don't want to admit it. No, that doesn't make sense. It's not like it's a, 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 
that there's a motive here that protects profit. It's not like the 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 the, uh, far, the pesticide companies that want to deny their product causes cancer because that affects their p- bottom line. This does not affect anyone's bottom line. Bottom line. But sorry about that, a slip of the tongue. This does not affect anyone's bottom line. It makes no sense. It, and I don't think it, it in any way aligns with physicians who hold certain views on global warming. I don't think it aligns. I think it's a question of when people went to school, what they were taught in school, and, and, and some hangover attitude problems uh, as the way that uh, sometimes people re- used to refer to chronic fatigue. Well, it's all in their head. Some doctors, partic- you know, and maybe it's more male physicians. This is anecdotal. I don't want to be <laughs> But may just have an attitude that when people present and think they have something that they saw online, they must be wrong because I never heard of it in medical school. So I think it's a slowly growing awareness issue, and I really think the medical profession as a profession, because they're the ones who discipline themselves, they need to take on board, look at what Health Canada has on the website, look at the responsibility for your profession to become better educated about Lyme disease, how to spot it, how to treat it, and to stop denying people the treatment they have a right to in this country under the Canada Health Act. As Canadians, do we need to update the bill or the funding allocated to Lyme disease research? I think we have to. I would love to update the bill. I would, well, I'd, I, well, the bill, of course, being a private member's bill, couldn't include any commitment to spending. So I'd have to say it's been a good thing that outside a commitment to spending that couldn't be in the bill, that, that funds have been liberated for research. But I would like to see Health Canada and the public health agency take a different attitude to where the money goes and how much money is going there. I do think we need a lot more global collaboration in terms of what are other countries doing. What constitutes best practice for physicians dealing with Lyme disease? Because we're going to see more of it. So I do think it needs a refresher. Uh, and it's not so much strengthening the bill as strengthening the public health plan in response to the bill. You are leaving as the leader of the Green Party. Who is going to carry the Lyme disease torch? I'm not leaving Parliament unless the voters of Saddish Gulf Islands don't want me. I will be running for re-election, and Lyme disease is very important to me. And there are many, many other MPs. I'd say Mark Gerritsen from Kingston, Neil Ellis from Quinty. Um, Bay of Quinty. There are a number of, oh, um, many MPs from the, from New Brunswick. Jenica Atwin, who's also a Green Party colleague of mine. There are many MPs for whom this is a very important issue. What makes them so committed? Because of their constituents. Because their constituents come to them suffering from Lyme disease, and they can't believe how much suffering is being caused by these tiny little ticks combined with the medical establishment's uh, unwillingness to revamp practice. Can you think of any other disease offhand that's denied like Lyme disease? I'd say in the early days of things like fibromyalgia, chronic health, chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, it, but the but the ways in which and it's it is getting better. I mean, I have to say that it is getting better. But honestly, Sarah, you know, when you think about it, how is it that so many mental health professionals and public health officers who've been, they've been our lifeline, they've been our, 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 
are bulwark in COVID, some of these very same people don't think Lyme disease is a thing. I don't understand that. I don't understand it either. What would you consider success? That people are, that we see the, the rate of Lyme disease going down and not just be because we're not keeping good statistics. We need to have much better awareness for prevention, much better awareness for diagnosis and treatment, and we need really amazing research because the breakthrough we really need would get the young people I know who are in wheelchairs out of wheelchairs and back to their full life. Because if we can crack whatever it is that that bacterium is doing systemically through the human body, creating what appears to me to be uh, um, uh, you know, a, per, a crippling and chronic disease, if we can get the research to crack that and restore people to full health, that's what I want to see in five years. I take it you're not going to give up. Yes, of course. When you don't give up, that's when you, that's when you succeed. I, mean, I face the same thing trying to deal with the climate crisis. Can we really believe we're going to stop burning fossil fuels before we endanger life on Earth for all of us? I have to believe we will. We, make, we have to make much faster pro- progress on both of these fronts. What inspires you these days? I'm so grateful to all the Lyme disease patients out there who never give up and keep fighting, even though they're dealing with such devastating health impacts. They're really an inspiration. What an interview. I'm so impressed at how motivated Elizabeth May is by her constituents. She listens to people in her riding, well, no, actually in the country, and then she turns that into action. I really admire her dedication to her work, and that is what I love. I also love doing this podcast. Please keep listening and stay safe in the outdoors. (laughs) 